0: Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at infothedistrict.church? All right, y'all can go ahead and head on down. Thank y'all so much. I'll take that from you. And at this time, we will go ahead and dismiss our uh, three to five class and our six to seven class. And for the rest of us, good morning, and uh, go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to Luke 2. We're going to be looking at the passage that they just read for us this morning. Um, And this morning we are also finishing our last song of Advent. So we've been looking at the four songs of Advent, the four songs of Luke, that all center around the birth of Jesus, leading up to uh, this story of the incarnation. God coming as a man in the form of a baby in a manger and, uh, and us celebrating that, us, us kind of waiting for that as we enter into the history of Israel waiting for a Messiah. And that's what we get to see today. We get to see sort of a glimpse into uh, one individual who got to experience this on a personal level. Uh, this, this ongoing waiting for a Messiah that that he got to hold in his hands. Um, and, and this is, again, just a personal experience that, that Simeon gets to have. Um, imagine, for, for example, how many of you have had a friend or a family member that you know, gave birth to a child or in the hospital, and you've gone to visit them in the hospital to see the newborn child, maybe even hold the child. Like, that's what we're actually looking at today. Now, like, it wasn't in a hospital, it was in a temple, but it was essentially and this man, coming to visit with them in order to hold this baby, to hold Jesus in his hands. But yet, think about it this way, if you've had people, say you've been one that's given birth and you've had someone come in the hospital and hold your baby, and then in that moment, they go, ah, oh, finally, now I can die. Like, I can go in peace. Like, it's... That would kind of be an awkward moment where you're like, okay, give me my child back. Uh, I don't really know what's, what's going on with this. So that's what we want to dive into. Why was that? What came out of Simeon's mouth when he held Jesus for the first time? And a few years ago, uh, there was a movie that I watched called Bucket List with Jack Nicholson uh, and Morgan Freeman. And essentially, it's these two old guys who were near death. And they wanted to uh, basically check off everything on their list that they wanted to see or experience in their life, and so that's exactly what they did. They went and and tried to do everything that they could possibly do to, in some way, be satisfied with the life that they lived, to find some sort of satisfaction there. And then also after doing just a quick Google search on uh, what are the top three things to see in your life, this is what it returned. The Great Barrier Reef is one of them. That's number three. The Grand Canyon was number two. And the first one surprised me because I actually didn't even know what it was. I had to look it up. But the Maasai Mara. Does anybody know what that is? And I might have even mispronounced it. What is it? No. The Maasai Mara is an African safari. It's an African safari in Kenya. But apparently, and again, Across multiple sites, it was like the number one thing for people to see and do before they die. It was even represented on BBC show called 50 Places to See Before You Die. And so that idea has become literally a growth industry. Uh, Dozens of books and websites urge you to complete their lists, offering albums to listen to, movies to watch, sensations to experience, and the list just goes on and on. And that this genre has been so successful reveals something really significant about ourselves. We want to experience the best of what's out there before it's too late. It's a a first world problem for sure for those of us who don't worry about putting a roof over our heads or food on the table. Our greatest fear seems to be getting to the end of life and feeling like in some way we've wasted it. Or in some way we've not gotten our money's worth in life. According to an article in the New York Times, one of the main culprits is, is what they're titling Instagram Envy, the nature of a site that just shares pictures or stories or reels on what is going great in your life, and you want every, everyone else to like it and appreciate it, but what it's actually created, and there's even a study going on at Oxford, is this sense of what we just simply call FOMO, fear of missing out. And it's, it's created kind of a psychological issue for people in that we are uh, living our lives in such a way that we believe our natural day-to-day is just dull and drab. That, that we're not actually excited about what we're doing and what we're seeing and what we're experiencing because we're not getting to see and experience the top 50, 50 things that are uh, to be seen around the world. And into this context... We're increasingly desperate not to miss the best of what's out there. And we're literally plagued by the fear that we might be. That we might be missing what's out there. And in this context steps the intriguing figure of Simeon. Not one of the better known supporting casts from the Christmas narratives in scripture. But we can't overlook this guy, this Simeon. He's a man ready to die. Not, Not because he's unhappy or feels he's been dealt a bad hand. But precisely the opposite, because he's satisfied. He's satisfied. Simeon has seen seen everything he needs to see. He's ready to go. He's completed his list. And amazingly, his list had only one thing on it. Let's look at it together. To give you a little bit of context, I'm going to back up to verse 22. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses... They brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. So this would be when Jesus was about eight days old. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Again, the success of 50 places to see before you die quickly led to the best-selling book, A Thousand Things to See Before You Die. Apparently, people are living longer and have a lot more time and resources to do things. But for Simeon, again, there was just one thing to see before he died, salvation. Salvation in the form of this baby that he's holding. Again, Simeon, we're told, was a devout Jew. He knew, by being a devout Jew, he knew that the world wasn't right. Not the way that it was meant to be or intended. The way we intuitively sense the world to be. Everyone is at least in that agreement. Everyone. Bad things happen in the world. Whether you're a Christian or atheist or agnostic, whatever you are, Everyone agrees that bad things happen in the world. That things aren't right. That things aren't the way that they should be or could be. Everyone has that gnawing in them that this is not good. It's not good and bad things are happening. And we're trying to make sense of that. We're trying to make sense of that. That's why one of the the longest leading bestsellers of genre is self-help books. Because where there's a gnawing in our soul, we don't like what we see. We don't like what we experience. And so we want to change ourselves and our circumstances in order to get to this place where Simeon finally gets to. This sense of satisfaction. I don't like the way I look. And so you're going to buy the magazines, 10-minute abs. And you're going to try to get that. You're going to try to fast track it. I don't like the way I think. And so I'm going to continue to educate myself. I don't like the way that I uh, spend. And so I want to spend more. And so I'm going to try to earn more and try to continue going and going and going. And, And the lie that we buy into is what we need is more of what we already have. That's the lie we give ourselves over to. Because we're longing for satisfaction and not finding it. We're longing for the experience that we think we're missing out on and we'd actually never receive it. Again, Simeon is tapped into this because he understands this. And he could account for this because again, he knew his Old Testament. He knew humanity wasn't right with God. He knew what God had promised to fix that. To put the world back together. To put us right with God. He knew What God had promised in salvation. And so he's longing for it. He's looking for it. He's waiting for the fulfillment of Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is the Proto-Evangelion. This is the first gospel that was ever proclaimed and preached. And it was preached by God to the serpent in the garden when we were deceived and fell into sin, and brought death into the world, God preached the first gospel and said, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to fix this. It's why he was waiting for Micah five 2-5 through that says, But you, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days, Again, he's he's waiting for this. He's a devout Jew waiting for this ruler to come and bring and usher in peace, great joy, good news for all people. And the beautiful thing about Advent is that God not only told us these two, but that He gave us over 456 prophecies throughout the entire Old Testament that is pointing to one thing. Not miss one thing to not miss 456 prophecies about Jesus being the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed and appointed Savior for all of the world. These predictions or prophecies have been honestly like the subject of a ton of controversy um, and debate for over 2,000 years now. How can one individual satisfy over 456 prophecies? How can one individual fulfill every single one of these predictions, if you will? Follow me for a second here. Anyone can make a prediction about the future. I can predict that the Cowboys are going to win the Super Bowl this year. Though unlikely, I believe it could happen. I'm going to predict it right now. Mark my words. The Cowboys will win the Super Bowl this year. All right? Now, I'm not basing that on anything. This is not, thus says the Lord, he didn't tell me. But, it's unlikely that that's going to happen. 32 teams, it's the NFL, professional, you know, go down the line. If I were to then say a little bit further, the Cowboys are going to win the Super Bowl against the Kansas City Chiefs. All right. now I'm making it even, even more specific and even more difficult for that prophecy to actually come true. And then if I were to even go further and say they're going to win by a score of 24 to 21, I'm giving more detail to the fact. Those are just three prophecies. And yet for Jesus, there's 456 prophecies in detail, specifically about how he is going to come be the Messiah that they are to look for. What are the odds of that actually happening? Well, luckily there was a study done that I did not have to do, and the study's pretty phenomenal. What's the chances of just the Micah 5.2 passage coming true? Jesus being born in Bethlehem. Well, this study, which came out of uh, Westmont College out in California, they looked at kind of the population of Bethlehem between the time of Micah to Jesus. And they pulled in around 300,000 people that would have been born during that kind of rough timeline. And it's a one in 300,000 chance for Jesus to be born in Bethlehem during the known world at that time. That would be similar to like us going to the Indy 500, marking an X on somebody, me blindfolding one of you and saying, walk and go find the person with the X on them. That's just Jesus fulfilling one prophecy of the 456. This same study, they went on to eight prophecies to determine the probability of one individual conservatively fulfilling eight prophecies. And they came up with a number of 1 in 10 to the 17th power. 1 in 10 with 17 zeros behind that. What do those uh, numbers look like? That would look like you taking quarters, marking one X on the quarter and scattering the quarters around. 10 to the 17th power. That many quarters would fill up the state of Texas two feet deep. And you blindfolded walking through the state of Texas and picking up the one quarter with an X on it. That's the probability of Jesus fulfilling eight prophecies. They then took it to 48 prophecies. 48 prophecies comes to one in 10 to the 157th power. All right, 10 to 157 zeros behind that. They don't have anything on the macro level to to uh, be able to give an example, so they had to go to the micro level. They had to go to electrons, using electrons and putting electrons in order. Uh, one and 10 to the 157th power is about an inch long. All right, you're like, well, that's not a big deal. Just pick one. If you were to count 250 of them a minute, night and day, 24 hours a day, it would take you 19 million years to count every single one of them. And you mark an X on one of them. And then go and select that correct one. That's Jesus fulfilling 48 prophecies of the 456. When God first preached that gospel in Genesis 3.15, He did it in such a way that only God could fulfill it. It leaves no room for us to enter into the scene and say... We accomplished this. We pulled this off. We pulled the narrative and stories together. We spun it in this direction. We fabricated this religion. We created this out of our own ideas. The Savior, the one who comes, what we get to see in this moment here is Simeon walking into the temple on this appointed day in history Jesus has the X marked on him, and Simeon picks him up and he holds him. He holds him. All the prophecies, all the promises of God have been fulfilled, and I can just picture this deep sigh of relief that he is experiencing. What what many would probably, up to this point, think he's given us 456 predictions, this is impossible. Absolutely impossible. How are we going to figure this out? The only way to figure it out is for it to be God incarnate. For God to come in and again, rig the whole system. He rigged the whole system. He knew exactly who he needed in place, which decrees to go out, which officers to be in government, which people to be born when they were born, what censuses need to go out. He had everything figured out in his plan in order for Jesus to be born and for Simeon to come and pick up the X marked on him and hold him in this moment for salvation to be revealed and for satisfaction to be complete. For it to be complete. I can see this deep sigh of relief as as Jesus is starting this life as a baby. For Simeon, he's finding rest already. In Jesus' words on the cross, it's finished. It's finished. Because for him, he's a devout Jew. At this point, he's still abiding by the rules of the Old Testament. And he's finally able to say, Thank you. I don't have to do that anymore. Jesus is my fulfillment, Jesus is my satisfaction, Jesus is my righteousness. Simeon is holding his salvation in his arms. But yet, Jesus isn't actually on the cross, he's still a baby. It's not, un, it's not unusual for us to say ridiculous things about babies and infants. If you're a parent and, and you have a child, a baby gurgles something unintelligible or throws a spoon on the floor, and all of a sudden we're over enthusiastic about the parent saying that this person's a, a genius and, and has incredible athleticism because look how far they threw the spoon. Like we, we say ridiculous things about, about our children. It's not about the fact that he was a child. It's about who he is, who he is, not his infancy, but his identity. This baby, this person is God's salvation. Simeon is holding God. And it's a picture really of a greater question, who's holding who here? It's like the movie Jerry Maguire when he's yelling, help me, help you. Hold me as I hold you. Jesus is holding Simeon as he holds him. Is there a more visual picture of abiding in Jesus than this moment right here? It turns out there's just one thing you need to see before you die. God's salvation in the baby. The incarnation of God becoming a man. The person of Jesus who is the Lord's Christ. The anointed and appointed to fulfill every one of these four hundred and fifty six promises God gave us in order to not miss to not miss the one thing. While I was um I cry a lot, so just whatever. While I was preparing this week, I had a memory pop up on my phone. Um It was me and my grandpa in uh, May of 2020. He was a diabetic <clears throat> and was on dialysis and he was tired. And so he went off of dialysis and it just, it basically gave him just a few weeks. Um, and so it was one of those weird things where it's like, you, you, you don't know when it's going to happen, but you know what's going to happen. And you know, this is the last time that I'm going to be seeing him. And so this was when we were all still in lockdown and, uh, so I drove down to, uh, to Tennessee to spend um, just a few days with him. And he would stay up. I knew he was tired, but he would stay up every, every night. He would stay up late every night just to talk with me. Because he knew how valuable the time was. And I knew how valuable it was. And I, I wanted to ask just very specific questions. And I asked him one question, one notable one. I said, Is there anything you wished you would have seen or did? And he sat quiet for a moment. He said, I wished I would have seen Jesus the way you have. I actually brought him to this passage. I brought him to this passage and I said, It's never too late. It's just the right time. It's just the right time. Have you seen Jesus? Have you held him? Have you seen salvation? The one. The one thing. To the child's mother, Simeon adds these ominous words. And the sword will pierce through your own soul also. There's huge sorrow ahead for Mary. The deepest sorrow for any mother. Seeing her son die. The greatness that lies ahead for her child. The rescue God will accomplish through him the glorious proclamations each of these songs of Advent have revealed, all of this is going to come about through His death. We celebrate the birth. But the birth is the introduction. The birth is not what saves us. It is a part of the theology and it's a part of what we believe. But it is not what saves us. What saves us is what He was born to accomplish, which was taking our death for us. Taking our death for us. He does not accomplish salvation for us by acquiring wealth and prominence and political favor, not by popularity or intelligence or accolades, not by climbing the corporate ladder or being a successful business entrepreneur. Jesus accomplished God's salvation through the prophecy of his death. And the prophecy of Isaiah, which says this. Who has believed what he has heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he, speaking of Jesus, grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All weak like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth but by oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many, and he's making intercession for us as the transgressors. That's the purpose for what we're celebrating this baby to be born. This is such a season in which we have hope and we have this longing for this baby to come as a gift to us. But Jesus is not a gift to us unless he is a gift that is taking away our sins and our iniquities and our shame and our guilt and gifting to us, replacing it with his righteousness. His righteousness. That's what the purpose of celebrating Christmas is all about. Is not just this beautiful manger scene that's really not beautiful in reality. But what's beautiful is it's God coming to be with us, Emmanuel. To choose when we are in our sin to pursue us and to save us from ourselves and our sin. By sending his son Jesus to die on a cross. This may not be the present that we'd expect. But it's the present we most need. And it all begins with this arrival of a baby. If you've seen him. And you've held him. It allows you right now to be as Simeon was. Satisfied satisfied you you get to walk away believing the truth that i don't need anything i don't need to see the grand canyon or the great barrier reef or the messiah mara i don't need to earn a certain amount i don't need to have a certain amount of kids i don't need to have a certain amount of friends i don't need to put on this certain type of life or achieve something if I've seen Jesus and I've held Him and have received His salvation, we can depart in peace whenever that time comes. We can sleep well tonight and we can freely worship. Worship. And one of the ways that Christ has ushered in for us a way to continue to worship as we now move into the second advent which is waiting for Him to come back and restore all things and take us to that heavenly home that He has prepared for us to worship with Him forever. The way in which He has allowed us to continue to experience the same thing that Simeon experienced. Simeon held Him. The way Jesus ushers that in for us is at the Lord's Supper, He gives them a couple of illustrations. He passes around bread and wine. We use juice. He passes around these things, and He says, I want you to hold these things. And as you hold these things, I want you to remember that you're holding what I have done for you. You're holding the fact that Isaiah 53, that was prophesied over 700 years before me, you're holding the fact that I have been crushed for your iniquities and that i've taken on your sin and that i have broken my body and i have shed my blood in order for you to be satisfied and to receive righteousness that you do not have to earn it is freely given to you and we get to be satisfied and rest in that every single week when we hold the bread and we hold the cup and we partake and so today I want us to do a little bit of a spiritual mental exercise that when we come and get these elements and we go back to our, to our seats, I want us to experience this moment that Simeon is experiencing where we are holding Jesus. We're holding Jesus, what represents his body and his blood. And we're receiving it for the for our own satisfaction of soul and spirit, of soul and spirit. Let's go ahead and stand. I'm going to go ahead and invite the band to back up as well. And as you stand, I'm going to invite you down. Uh, we've got the elements off to the side here. I want you to come down, grab the elements, and come back to your seat. And then we will remember together.